Welcome, welcome, welcome to Fusion. You're welcome to Fusion Fellowship Group. Great to see everybody. It's an exciting Thursday. It's finally September. Yum. Very good. So tonight we have Carlel and Justin kicking us off in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Uh, it's going to be a jam-packed thing. So, um, yeah, it'll be Genesis 1 here tonight. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it there. No PowerPoint tonight, so you will need to follow along if you, if you would like. Um, announcements. This Saturday, well, tonight, we're doing an activity, so it's fun night. Absolutely fun. Uh, we're doing the draw on back game. Not backgammon. Draw on back game. Yes. Oh, gonna need a wall. It's yeah, gonna, gonna need a wall for that. Yeah, it's a pretty fun game. I won big time last time. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That'll be fun after this Saturday. Baptisms. Okay, big deal. Um, it is the highlight, I think, of the year. Going to our baptisms and seeing people profess their faith uh, in Christ and be baptized and dunked in. Uh, uh, what's that lake we go to? West Branch Lake. Yeah, we go to West Branch Beach. So if you're interested in that, or you're interested in being baptized, maybe you got saved recently, uh, talk to whoever brought you around, and that starts at 1 p.m. There's a potluck also. So if you want to bring something, please do. Uh, but yeah, there's a potluck, and there'll be baptisms shortly after that. And then final thing, CTs. Okay, we are going to be split now for oh. CTs. So we are going to be meeting at 4 p.m. like we were before the recombine. So not this Saturday, but next. Next Saturday is the first 4 p.m. CT. And I think there's going to be some other fellowship groups joining us as well um, that have kind of moved up from the college group into the 4 p.m. CT. So that'll be exciting. Uh, why don't I pray and then we'll get Carlo up here. Uh, Heavenly Father, just so good to be here. Uh, the brothers and sisters uh, and Studying your word, getting to learn from you, God. So thank you for that. We just invite you here in our meeting. We uh, need you, God. Uh, we just need you to soften our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts to understand your word. So we just pray, God, that your spirit be here, speaking through Carlel and Justin, and that, uh, yeah, we'd have great fellowship and you'd be able to, uh, to change our hearts. So we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Carlel, come on. Ladies and gentlemen. It's getting dark super early now. How about that? Anybody like that or hate that? I don't like it. I it's better since it's colder. Everybody knows about big people like myself. We like the cold. Cold's very nice. Yeah. All right, so I want to open up with a question. A very hard question. Got to open up your brains tonight. Anybody want to chime in on what may have possibly happened October 18th, 4004 B.C.? It rained. It possibly rained, yeah. Fusion Fellowship, Fellowship started at 4004 B.C., October 18th. A boat sunk just around. A boat sunk? Titanic, maybe? Okay. Pyramids. Okay, okay. Book was written. Craig truly knows. Book was written. 
Does Craig know? He looks like he knows. <laughs> well, I will know. The world, indeed, some people believe October 18, 4004 BC was the creation of the world. They have it down to the T, which is quite amazing. Mr. Usher, not the famous world-renowned singer Usher, but James Usher is a big head in, in finding out this date. Did a bunch of math, came to October 18, 4004 BC. Pinpoint. Did a bunch of math. Quite amazing. I don't want to bore you here with all the math. <laughs> But that's what we're talking about tonight in the book of Genesis, the creation of the world. You guys came at the perfect time. We're starting a new book. Just so happens to be the very first book of the Bible. Now, Genesis, very interesting name. It's a band, some would say. You were listening to Genesis, the band. But also, Genesis means beginning. So we're starting the book of Genesis, the beginning of the book, the beginning of the series. This is a lot of beginnings. But not just that. The beginning of our world is in Genesis. The beginning of humans is in Genesis. The beginning of sin, death, and the plan of salvation. All in Genesis alone. So we're diving into something very exciting. I'm excited to look forward, uh, looking forward to what this series holds out to be. But there's uh, something to note as we dive through Genesis. To keep in mind that this book is actually a historical document. It's not some type of uh, scientific complete document. Uh, this book of all these chronological records of events. Uh, nor is it a myth. But the Bible holds Genesis as a historic, significant document. So that's how we should also view it as we go through this. Therefore, as we'll see tonight, especially, the book of Genesis overlaps with science. Because science uh, both deal with history. Genesis and uh, science both deal with history. So let me hand out a couple verses before I get too deep in here. Anybody bring the Bibles? Lauren. Romans 1, 20. Rich, I heard you. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Who else? Oh, Lanny. Uh, Psalm 94. And Isaiah 45, 18. Derek, I heard you say something over there. Didn't really hear you, but I'm going to give it to you. Very good. So everyone else will be in Genesis 1 and 2. That's all I'm going to be. Let's begin, shall we? At the beginning. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, lots of beginnings tonight, God created the heavens and the earth. Oof. Already, this is a contradiction to a lot of people's beliefs. How dare you say God created the heavens and the earth? There are many, many different views. And studying for this teaching, holy cow, there are many, many different creation views. I'm only going to go over three tonight, okay? There are so many, and I'm not hitting on all the points of the three, but let's just try to narrow it down just to these three. And uh, we'll go from there. But the first view, mature creationism. This is also attributed to uh, people who call themselves the young earthers. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of that before. I just recently heard about the Young Earth Creation Society, whatever they call themselves, when I went to the ARC the actual Noah's Ark. I don't know if you guys know where that is. It's in, it's in Kentucky, but I won't bore you with too much. There's a, there's a teaching about it. I'll explain a little bit more when that teaching comes around with Noah. But 
I see this guy's name, Ken Ham, floating around. I see answers in Genesis. And I didn't really know what that was until I started studying this teaching. Turns out that is a part of the Young Earth Society, the uh, Young Earth Creationists. They're all about um, attributing the world's age to 4004 BC. So they're, they're a part of that group of people that believe that the Earth is young, only uh, 6,000 years old. They believe that God created the earth in six 24-hour segments and then took a break on the seventh day. And uh, like I mentioned earlier with the math, they go through the genealogies. So that's how they did it. And they line up, okay, this person, this age, will add it up. Oh, that equals 4004 BC. So that's how they came to that. And even though the earth looks old, and scientists say it's old, they believe that it has the appearance of age. That it's not old, it just looks that way. It's actually very young. And they also bring in the flood, saying that the flood was a big part of aging the earth. Which is pretty interesting. So a few critiques to this one. This is a very unfortunate view. Uh, and it's unfortunate, one, because it's become a very popular view uh, that people believe that it's tied together with Christians. They're so vocal about this view that it's kind of all contributed to all Christians are young earthers which is not true. It's also very easy to discredit, as the kids these days do, they Google things. So I just Googled, how old is the Earth? Google says 4.54 billion years. Okay, it's pretty straightforward. And then I saw that there was an answer in Genesis link. And I was like, oh, that's young Earthers? Let me see what they say. It's the third link down, actually, so it's not very far. They say, if you answer, if you ask this question of most scientifically literate people, well, they will say the Earth is, uh, in the universe, is about 4.54 billion years old. But if you ask a biblically literate person, many will answer that the Earth and universe are a little more than 6,000 years old. So here we go. We have this separation. Science is over here, 4.54 billion. But the biblically literal people, they're over here, and it's only 6K years old. So that's a big problem, big contradiction there. And this concept of the appearance of age, got a little beef with this. If the earth is young, right, but it looks old, that means that God took his time to create an earth that just looks old. Everything else is young. He went through all this work, seven days, creating all these things, the stars, the lights, putting fossils in the ground that all look old, but they're not really old. In other words, God created the world to deceive people. That's what they're saying. To make it look old on purpose would attribute God to being a deceitful God, which is not the guy I know. Uh, yeah, this flies in the entire face of the Bible. Romans 1.20, what does that say? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. Can I just anymore? <laughs> Run twenty, please. Romans one twenty. Oh boy. <laughs> Ever since um, the world was created, people have been or have Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, how hard did they say 
to see it? How hard did they say? They said, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They clearly... Clearly! Thank you. Clearly seen. In my translation I have here, uh, it says it has been clearly perceived. So it's, it's been there. It's clear. 1 Corinthians 14.33 For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace oh. in all the churches and the saints. So it says that God's confusing? God is not. God is not God a God of confusing. confusing. I, that's pretty straightforward. I think I understand that. So God's not all about confusing people. That's the last thing he wants to do. What he says is true. He's not going to go through the effort of making something look old that isn't old. Um, they also believe in the 24-hour creation span. So each day in Genesis that he's creating, it's just 24 hours. And as we'll read here, it's not the case. Genesis 1.5, God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So here we have in Genesis 1.5, the day equals a 24-hour period, 12 hours of sun, 12 hours of night. We go a little bit further on, Genesis 1.14 then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. So now days are not 24 hours. Day and night are separate. Genesis 2, 2, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. This one's pretty interesting because there's no evening mentioned here. There's no morning on this day. Uh, does not have either, but sets it completely apart. And then lastly, Genesis 2, 4. This is in the Nazi translation. This is the account of, heavens, of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So they just summarize in, in Genesis 2, 4, the day was all six days together. So we have a 24-hour day, we have a 12-hour day. We have a day being six days. This is getting kind of complicated. I don't know about you guys, but oh my goodness, this is getting kind of complicated. But if we read the text and see what the word day is translated to in the Hebrew, it's actually yom. Anybody here know Hebrew? You know about yom? <laughs> yom. So people would use yom to signify whatever it means, just like we do today, whatever day it means. I can say, you know, yesterday... We just started doing this. Back in the day, we started Fusion Fellowship Group. I could say, I can go as far as back in the day, to insult someone, you would call them a jive turkey. Anybody ever know about calling somebody a jive turkey? That's like 50 years old. But I could say back in the day, that's what we used to call people. But I don't mean literally. That's 50 years ago. So we do the same thing here today. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. The Hebrew word yam can be... Many different uh, meanings of day. So, if you say it says 24 hours in six consecutive segments, you're not looking at the text. Because days can mean more than that. So that was the first one, mature creationism, or young earthers. Second one, we have progressive creationism, which is the one that's most compatible with Genesis. States that the days that he's creating are actually really long times. He's working through creating these things. Uh, he's not just doing it all back to back. So for maybe this day, he creates something. And then maybe a million years in between those days. Then he goes and creates on the next day. 
It's not uh, all back-to-back 24-hour days, which makes sense. This is the day-age theory, not a 24-hour sequential time, but a 24-hour age or period. And again, that's where the yam comes in. The yams could be, uh, it could be a whole age when you call the yam. Uh, you can call a yam a whole age, really. So that's uh, progressive creationism. Probably the one that's most compatible with the Genesis account. Then lastly, we have the theistic, atheistic evolution. These are kind of tied together. Pretty much mean the same thing. Only difference is atheistic evolution thinks, well, there is no God, so nothing comes from God, since there is no God. Theistic evolution would say, well, maybe God guided some things. Maybe like he came in and like zapped something here and then nothing else. He just did that one thing and he's just sitting back watching. Uh, as the world just works on its own. They believe in natural cause and effect, random events, pure chance, as resulted in what we're seeing today. Everything just happened out of nothing, randomly. A couple critiques to this one. Well, natural selection doesn't apply. One organism can't alter and mutate over a generation because nothing is producing everything. Doesn't work that way. Our lives, therefore, came out of nothing, just a random chance. Molecules or atoms just bouncing around, and then boom, here we are. Amazing how that works. That's like me saying, if I were to blow up this building enough times, this could become a Chick-fil-A. Okay? <laughs> There's a random chance, if I blow this up enough, the atoms will come together, and we got ourselves a Chick-fil-A in Kent, baby. May not, not give anyone ideas, we like this building, but... <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, that's a silly example, but uh, that's what they believe. Randomness producing non-random things. Jumbles of atoms producing fully formed humans. Uh, this verse here I want to end on, Isaiah 45, 18. Did I get that to anyone? You sure did. Hey. That is, for this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beautiful. In other translations, it says that he did not create it to be a waste place. The Lord created this earth, and he meant what he created, and he meant for it to be inhabited. Not random chance, not to confuse people, but to create it so that we may inhabit. And he created the way he wanted to make it, which I think is perfect. It's beautiful. Thank God it gets dark late uh, earlier now, so I can enjoy the coolness. Thank you, Lord, for that. You go, you know, camping. Some people see the sunrise. Thank you, Lord, for creating that beautiful sunrise. One of our friends is out in uh, Michigan, and he saw the Northern Lights. Never knew what those was until I googled that. Thanks, Google. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for creating that. It's not a waste place, but it was formed to be inhabited. So Justin's going to come up and do some further connecting of Genesis with the modern science findings that he has for us. So let's give it to Justin. Uh, This is a bit of a change. Normally I'm the first guy and Carlo's the second. So Hi, everyone. So we're going to go and we're going to start actually digging in right into Genesis. If I can get a few readers, let's say like... Six or seven. Uh, Jeff, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. 
Derek, can you get uh, verses 3 through 5? Eleni, can you get verses 6 through 8? Brenda, 9 through 13. Jamie, 14 through 19. Angie, can you get 20 through 23? I need just one more, one more. Terry, can you get 24 through 31? Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Yes, please. If you don't know, uh, it's just page one. (laughs) 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 All right. Jeff, can you start us off? All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so this is our setting. This is in the beginning. Uh, Derek, can you read next? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. All right, boom. So we got the first day. First day is going on. Let's get the second day. I think Lenny, you got that? Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the, separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was a morning. All right, a second day. All right, Brenda, give us the third. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought... Fourth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, the trees bearing fruit with seed in their kind, and God saw that it was good. It was evening, and there was morning, a third day. A third day. Okay. Now, Jamie, you've got the fourth day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Fourth day, okay. Mm-hmm. Angie, you got the fifth for me. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning fifth day. Okay, Terry, bring it home with the sixth. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish 
of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all over all the earth and over every and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has uh, fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, God gave, gave everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. All right, so the sixth day, we've got everything created. And on the seventh day, uh, God rested. He was tired. He was tired. That's a lot of work. We just covered that first chapter of the Bible. Covers 12 to 14 billion years of history. That's a lot, but you'll notice it is all of one chapter. So that means it kind of lacks a bit of detail. <laughs> the Bible is a historic document, but it is not a scientific document. And this, is, uh, this uh, book, Genesis, was written somewhere around 1400 BC. And it's not a very complicated document either. Uh, back then, Hebrew, the language it was written in, had about around 4,000 words. For comparison, does anybody know how many words the English language has right now? Take a guess. 7,000? A bit more. How many? 12,000? Uh, more than that. More than that. Less than a billion. So the Oxford English Dictionary said they have about 600,000 different words. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of a difference in the complexity of the language. So that means that you can only really write in so much detail in a document when there are only so many words. Uh, and the Genesis account of creation is uh, very simple, very straightforward. Uh, it doesn't really invoke the mythological ideas that a lot of the uh, contemporary religions at the time were doing. For instance, uh, in Babylon, they have their creation myth is their god Marduk got into a fight with another god, and he cut open this other god's guts, and from those guts spilled out humanity. And that's their, like, creation myth, right? And the Bible's very different than that. Uh, it's very simple. You know, God said nothing existed, and then he spoke, and then stuff existed. Uh, so here's the premise that Carl and I are trying to get across tonight. That uh, if God is the God of the universe, the God of the Bible is the God of the universe, he is also a God of history. So then, there should be an overlap between science, which is trying to understand the universe and nature, as well as God, who created it. And that's what I'm hoping to show tonight. So we're going to look at uh, this Genesis narrative that we just read, and we're going to see what it tells us, what we can get from it. So first and foremost, we see that it says that God created the universe. Uh, that's the point of Genesis 1. Genesis, like Carlos said, literally means the beginning. So next, it, uh, Genesis tells us that God speaks things into existence. Now, God said, let there be light, 
and then there was light. So God is literally exerting his will, his uh, energy, his intellect uh, to get things going in the process, to create. The Hebrew word that's used is this word bara, which literally means to create. And it's only used when, uh, in reference to God because it, it conveys this concept of creating something out of nothing. Uh, and that's exactly what God did. He created something that didn't exist before. You know, before the universe wasn't there, God spoke, and boom, the universe exists. And that's a big deal for science. Uh, don't know if you guys know this. Scientists used to think that the uh, universe was eternal. Uh, the Big Bang uh, is a pretty recent theory. Uh, but Big Bang says that universe didn't exist, then boom, it did. Uh, and the Bible is trying to convey that here uh, when it says that in the beginning. So it also talks about God creating uh, it uses this word made or make. It's, uh, the Hebrew word is asa. And it's this implication that God is using something, perhaps some sort of process, uh, to help make other things. So this is when it talks about how he made birds uh, after their kind, the plants after their kind, that word uh, after their kind. It's, it's kind of vague. Like we said, they've only got 4,000 words to work with. But they're trying to convey that there's all this variation going on. There's all these different processes going on uh, in the creation. Uh, and so there's a lot of different room for instance, uh, for evolutionary processes. Uh, different species differentiating themselves in that way through natural selection. So we also see that Genesis shows that there is a beginning. Do you guys know, in contrast, when science decided that there was indeed a beginning? Does anybody know how recent that was? 60s. 60s. Oh, Making his right arm. Bingo. Yeah, bingo, bingo. <laughs> so that was about 60 years ago. That's pretty crazy. Before that, uh, science thought that the universe was infinite. That means that, you know, it's been around forever and it's going to go on forever. But not, not, that's not true anymore. Um, Scientists have been able to look up at the stars and see that they are all moving away from a central location. And by seeing how fast they're moving across the sky and, and what direction they're moving away, they're able to calculate that the universe is actually about 12 to 14 uh, billion years old. So they've discovered that. Um, Einstein theorized that it was a massive explosion that caused uh, all of existence to pop in out of nothing. Uh, and Stephen Hawking discovered that time is related to space. That means like all of this around us, you know, where we live, space, that time is inherently related to it and that it also started at the Big Bang. And this is actually what the Bible said happened, and, and the Bible said this uh, over 4,000 years ago. So that's pretty wild, and science just confirmed it in the 60s. But I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, like, yeah, but that's like a 50-50 shot, Justin. Like, the Bible either said that there was a beginning or there wasn't a beginning. So, you know, that 50-50 chance of getting it right. But I will say, 
did get it right. That's pretty fascinating. You know, science didn't get it right until the 60s, but the Bible got it right over 4,000 years ago. So Genesis also tells us, it shows us a a progression of events. It starts off in the big grand scale of uh, the cosmological universe getting created. You know, the stars, planets, things like that. And then it goes and says, next, there was the earth, and the earth was created. Uh, You know, that's the part where the land was created, the sea was uh, made. And it goes on and says, after that, there was life. Uh, Biological life was created. Life came to exist. And this follows the order that we understand uh, things happen in the scientific world. Has anyone ever heard of the Cambrian explosion? Yeah? It's, it's very fascinating. Basically, what science has discovered is that um, some 538 million years ago, life went from a few simple cell, single-celled simple organisms to suddenly, on a, uh, a range of about 13 to 25 million years, out of seemingly nowhere... Uh, the fossil record shows that every single type, you know, we're talking reptiles, we're talking amphibians, birds, uh, you know, bugs, and mammals exi- started to exist. So we went from single-celled organisms, and then over the course of 13 to 25 million years, complex, multi-celled organisms. And before that, there's, so it's like this chunk of time this big, where there's like, Nothing, nothing. You've got some single-celled organisms. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then in the span of this much time, barely any time, right? Every single multi-celled organism came into existence. Pretty what? Pretty rapid. A giant, diverse uh, group of life coming to appear. And that's exactly what Genesis shows. We also see that Genesis shows that life follows non-life on that third day. You had to have God saying something in order for it to happen. And that's huge. Uh, science doesn't really have an explanation for how life came from non-life. Because uh, life itself isn't just physics and chemistry. It's incredibly complex. Uh, if you look at DNA, you know, the building blocks of life, uh, it looks more like information. There's four letters in DNA, but does anyone know how long a st- the string of letters are that compose DNA? Like how many characters? Any thoughts? Like 144. 144. No, no, that's longer than tweet. It's about... <laughs> it is uh, about three to five billion letters in sequence. In, in order for that, and it, and it has to be in the correct order, otherwise it doesn't really work. So I'm a computer guy. IT is uh, my profession. Uh, I know a little bit of coding. Uh, and, and DNA is often compared to a computer code. It's instructions on how to build life. And I've wrote code. You know, I write maybe like something that's 25 lines long and I get about 20 errors because I forgot one single parenthesis one time, okay? Now, the amount of complexity that there is in DNA requires such a 
superior intellect, something that's way beyond my comprehension. Uh, this, is, this is what a lot of the people that worked on the Human Genome Project see. They see that and they are just amazed that, wow, this is like a, an entire language here. Um, I've heard this very good analogy, which is, um, say you're on a train and you're going to Canada, right? And you're looking out the window and you see uh, this rock formation that spells out, welcome to Canada. And you have two ways to look at this. The first way you can look at that and you can be like, oh, wow, that's wild that all those rocks just formed like that to make words that say welcome to Canada. You know, you, that's the way you can do it, but it wouldn't really make sense to then go and start getting your passport ready and be like, okay, got to get my ticket out because those rocks were made there by random chance according to you. So you're probably not in Canada, you're probably still in uh, Michigan or something. However, if you look at that and say, oh, welcome to Canada, clearly somebody made that to indicate that we are now in Canada it actually makes sense that I get out my passport and get ready to go through customs and all that fun stuff. And that's what we're looking at here with DNA. It's that similar thing of like, there's a clear language, there's a clear pattern going on uh, in this DNA code. <sighs> so we see, this, this is what we call information theory. Um, you know, if I were to write a sentence whoever wrote that sentence would have to be more complex than uh, the sentence itself. So we look at DNA, which is three to five billion characters long. Whoever wrote that would have to be incredibly more complex than the DNA itself. So finally, uh, we see that Genesis shows that humans were created last, that they were the pinnacle of creation, and that there's something special about humans. Uh, it says that we were made in the image of God. And that's something we're going to get into in later teachings. Uh, we're not going to talk about it a whole lot tonight. Um, however, as we're looking at this Genesis account, it does a pretty good job at describing what science actually knows about the creation of this universe. That there was a beginning, that there was a process of events, that life came out of non-life, and that there were these different stages of life coming up, and that humans were the most recent uh, important big life that came out. So what the science knows is what the Bible shows. But what does that mean to us? What is the point of studying Genesis? What is the point of looking at all uh, of this here in Genesis 1? Why is it important? I think it points to an awesome, eternal, uh, powerful creator God. Uh, and if there is a creator God on the other side of creation, uh, he's pretty powerful and pretty amazing. And that's somebody we want to at least try to understand on some level. I think it shows us that God is distinct from creation. He's not a part of creation because he existed before. It said in the beginning, God was already there. Um, in Genesis is going to answer questions of why is there something rather than nothing. And it shows that God is powerful. I need some more readers. I need four people. All right. Lenny, can you get Psalms 19, 1 through 4? Yep. Jordan, can you get Psalm 148, 
five. Some one forty eight five, you said? Yes. I need two more. Yep. Megan, can you get Revelation four eleven? And Becky, can you get Second Peter three, verses five, and eight through ten? I'll remind you if you need it. Justin, you remind me of five. One forty-eight five. All right. Who's got Psalm nineteen one through four? of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hand. Day to day he pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Okay, so this passage is basically saying, you know, if you look at nature, it pours forth speech, that there's not really any explanation for the order that we see that it must be God behind it. Jordan, can you read Psalm 148.5? Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. All right, so yeah, if God created everything, he definitely deserves some praise. Megan, you had Revelations 4.11? You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Right. So if God is this way, we should get to know him. Uh, And from Genesis, we can actually tell that God is a personal, relational being. Uh, It says God created us, humans, male and female, that's people designed to be in a relationship, uh, in his image. So if he created us in his image, that means that he must as well be personal. Uh, And this is the first implication we see in the Bible of God being a trinity. Uh, That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, And the reason Genesis 1 is here is to tell us the rest of the story. That first chapter is for the first 12 to 14 billion years of uh, existence. The rest of the book is to tell the last 5,000 years or so. And it's here to tell how God will restore his relationship with humanity and how Jesus Christ will come again. Now, Becky, can you read 2 Peter 3, verse 5, then 8 through 10? For when they maintained this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the, oh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The <laughs> heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay. So we're here, here Peter is talking about the end of the world, and people are wondering, like, oh, isn't it supposed to happen already? And Peter is saying, no, not yet. God isn't slow about his promises. Christ is going to come back. But the reason it hasn't happened is because God wants everybody to come into a relationship with him. Uh, he doesn't want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to know him. If you don't know the God of the universe, 
you have a chance to come into a relationship with them. You don't do that by trying to be a good person and just trying to live in a good life because it's not going to work. There's something in the way of all that that uh, we call sin. Basically, it's all the bad stuff that you've ever done. Uh, It separates us from God. And the only way to pay for that sin is death. But there's good news. This is why God came down in human form and died uh, on the cross. He died to pay for our sins uh, and remove that barrier between us and him so that we can have a relationship with him. And all you have to do is pray to him and say, God, uh, I want your death on the cross to count for me. I want you to come into my life. uh, And that's all it takes. And it's a really cool thing because God gives a life that cannot be had anywhere else because he is the God of life. So with that, that's where I'm going to draw the line. Ooh, we have any questions, line. comments, grievances? If you guys found this interesting, oh yeah, very good. I'd very recommend good. there's this book by this guy who's a uh, Oxford professor named Dr. John Lennox called Seven Days That Divide. I read it. It was really good. Very interesting stuff. He's like a mathematician guy, but he's he's very smart. Uh, not a young Different kind of math. Seats. They do all sorts of math over there. It's really good. It's it's yeah. pretty pretty interesting stuff. Questions? Or have we left you all speechless? Well, I liked uh, Carlisle coming through because he seemed like he was trying to get a good handle on it, and he's, he definitely got a good handle on that presentation. So. Because you were kind of like trying to, you were struggling a little bit. So prayer works, I see that. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was good. good. Yeah, it was cool that you got different presentations of uh, other people's thoughts or, you know, like how long creation was. Mm -hmm. So that was was cool. You know, if you're a strict Bible-leaving person, uh, well, I don't know. it's like you're a strict believer. Oh, 7,000 years creation, but kind of not, you know. But, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in uh, 7,000 year creation. You know, I think it's been over probably close to what Justin said, <laughs> three to five billion years, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Okay, let's go. I, uh,
of stupid for thinking it, you know, like really getting that, like getting far into it at least. And um, I was wrong, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think it's cool that God doesn't like expect us to just blindly believe in Him, but He gives so much evidence upon evidence upon evidence that He is real and you know cares about us and wants a relationship with us. Um, whether it's like you know feeling His presence like through relationships witnessing his love in a way that you know you've never seen it before like like that's how i came to know him or like science history how it coincides with the bible it's just really mind-blowing i don't understand half of it but the fact that there is so much evidence is really cool that he supplies that i thought you guys did a good job highlighting some of that thank you
so I really appreciate your guys' teaching. There's a lot of, a lot of good points. And you can spend all night talking about these, like, oh, specific so science things that also correlate with the Bible. But, yeah. Um, yeah, our culture just, they really separate faith and science, and that's not the case. Yeah. Reasonable people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think I remember reading that like early science, like we're talking like would this be the Renaissance when they're creating the scientific method? We're doing this because they believed that there was a God that created the universe and that because of that the universe has order and you can understand it if you study it. And so these early scientists were very often like believers in God, believers that he made natural laws that uh, the universe runs off of, and because of that, you can study it through science. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's like so much more we can go into, and so much more we can talk about. Like, but got to cut a lot. Man, um, I just think I don't know. I really appreciate minds that understand science. Um, <laughs> I'm not a science person. Um, but I think that both you and Carlisle did a really cool job of making that accessible and presenting it in such a way that demonstrated how loving God is. Because God didn't have to tell us any of this or communicate any of these things or make it so that uh, scientists could research these things and have evidence for it, scientific, concrete evidence for the Bible. But he loved us enough and understands us enough because we are, are like him to make that happen. And that just speaks to what a loving and merciful God is. Like God, God is. Because he's like, I love you so much that I'm going to not just create the world and create you and create everything else. I'm going to have evidence for it <laughs> so that, you know, that backs me up because I know that humans are skeptical. And I love you enough to, to show you my reasoning a little bit. You know, while we don't get to know all of the details, we don't know, get to know all of the exact, you know, historical facts of what happened and when it happened. He loves us enough to give us enough to have that kind of support that it's not like that. I don't know. It, it gives me in my brain, it, it, it gives me more like, okay, I can have trust in this. I can have more faith in this as opposed to like, having faith in atheism or, like, nothing, because science is showing us this, which is really beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me of, like, just thinking about, like, uh, I'm not really a big nature guy, but sometimes I get choked up, like, man, God created this beautiful thing that I get to experience. It's so beautiful. And uh, it's, uh, we have have someone to thank for making these beautiful things, like those lights that I've never heard of before. Yeah. <laughs> they look amazing, though. Yeah. lights. Like, when uh, Brenda, Jamie, and I were hiking on this mountain in Colorado, there were multiple times where like, the three of us were just kind of stunned mm. and, like, close to tears at just the beauty yeah. of yeah. what the Lord has created. Mm. And it's just, it's amazing that He created these things for us to enjoy. Mm. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Yeah. So I don't know which one of you guys said, uh, Justin, I think it was you. That, uh, so these 30 verses in Genesis 1 talk about the creation that, that spanned 50 billion years or whatever you said, remember? Of the 14. 
And and so some of of the rest of Scripture, you know, is very detailed about um, how to build a temple. Chapters and chapters and chapters about how to build a temple, right? Um, And uh, and so, you know, you sit back and you wonder, why why is it, God, that you took 30 verses to describe 12 billion years of creation, and you take however many chapters it is to describe how to build a temple? So, so you wonder, you know, why is why is it important to you, God, to tell me this? Or more importantly, maybe why is it important to me that this is what you chose to tell me? You chose to, to relate relate to me and help me understand. I think, you know, the young earthers also, I, I'm not, but they also agree that Genesis 1 points to the fact that, or points to the idea, and the, the main point is that God did the creating. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we don't have to fight with them about that. Um, we can agree with them that yeah, God created. Okay, we figure out how they did it different, but you know maybe the word that we understand the language is different or whatever it is. But but the point of that is of those thirty verses is that there's a God in heaven that created, and it's not you and it's not me, um, but that He's intimate. He wants to be intimate with us. He created us like Him, and what He created was really good. Yeah, and, and if he told us all that stuff, you know, Moses would have understood that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we don't understand that mostly, <laughs> right? We still can't understand it. So, so it's, the point of that is that God is the one that created. There's a God and he created and it's not me. Yeah. And that's different than all the other creation accounts like you were saying. Yeah. That uh, where this God or that God was doing something and they had babies and that's what it was or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's one of those, I don't remember which one that is, but... Um, that this, this account for creation is different than the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that came around at the same time mm-hmm. in the same kind of Middle East region. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very distinct and it points to there being a God. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. That was very cool. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I was going to say that we already looked at Romans 1, but <coughs> no, in fact, that's other creation God says man's not excuse, so he can't say there's no God, so he's not going to be able to look at him and say, well, I didn't know about this and that. He's going to say, well, I made, what, by what I made, he was out of excuse. There's no way he can say, this happened by accident. So, it, so that's the point that God makes, is that what I made, there's no way you can reason that away. It's, it's, some people suppress the truth, but that doesn't matter. You're still accountable by what's made. He yeah. makes a very strong point of that. Yeah. Right. I feel like I don't know if I have anything to say that everyone else has already said, but I just love this stuff. I feel like it's funny. Good, yeah, good job. I we're starting this um, series of Genesis. I feel like we could just do a series on Genesis one. Oh, and like that would oh, probably yeah. get us to like you know twenty twenty three. Oh yeah, <laughs> easily. Um, yeah, I really this was really important for to me. Um, this creation and um, just the having like a basis to believe. I kind of came from a background of really a lot of like, oh, the Bible like says a lot of nice things and those are nice in your heart, but like, you know, then there are true things. And like, this was really cool to bridge the gap to be like, no, like, I mean, the universe came from somewhere and you kind of have to decide where you think it came from mm-hmm. when it came to reality. And there's a lot of really good books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of books for sure. Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> What's it called? Taste for Creator. Oh! Taste for creator makes trouble. It's very approachable. Very approachable. Very easy Not written by an Oxford professor. Not yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe more. If you more. want to start smaller. Yeah. <laughs> That's... He is a lot more relational. That's true. Craig, you haven't said a word. I'm just uh, the resident scientist here. I figure there's something. I think a lot has already been said, but I, I was just thinking about like my conversations with my coworkers. Oh. Most of my coworkers at, at NASA are like atheists, you know, so I've had a lot of um, conversations on that and finally got them after many conversations to admit that it's like a position of faith. They like, we're very hesitant to say that. You know? No, no, but there's like so much you don't know, and it's it's like based on like assumptions. You know, they that science is going to fill in the gaps that we don't know about and stuff. Even though like the odds of all this stuff coming out of nothing is just like astronomical. Like in an engineering like environment, you would say that's like literally impossible. You know, but they're going to say that it happens and. Then they go through gymnastics of, well, there might be multiple universes in order to, for that to happen statistically, but there's no evidence for it and stuff. But I like what Lennox said, as he talked about, like, well, if, if you ask, like, what's the explanation for uh, a Ford Model T? Was it science or was it Henry Ford? And it's like clearly the both. And so there are different types of explanations of how the thing came to be. They're not like mutually exclusive. It's not just one or the other. It's like there's an intelligent being behind it, but then there's still the process of the scientific process that went into it. And you can like understand the reasoning behind it. So it's a uh, oh, it's an interesting topic. It's a question about do they do they say that what you believe is based on faith or what they believe is based on faith? Yeah, I mean. It seems like they would mock me for like having faith, but then we have to like talk about like well the things that you're trusting in too, and they're like it's not trust it's science, you know atheism is science. Like, no, let's like separate those out. And, um, at least one of the guys was finally like, you know, yeah I guess it's I guess it's a, a faith I guess it's a trust, but it's like more easy to believe or something, but. Hmm. Um, then I even brought up this point about Henry Ford, and he's like, oh, that's interesting. I just don't believe in Henry Ford. That is impossible. It's, it's amazing because they study the world. They believe that everything is caused by random chance, and yet they're studying like things as if there's order. That's that's the part. That's that another is. thing that Lennox says is that naturalism shoots itself in the head because it's yeah. you believe that the whole world is just random interactions, unguided processes. It's all just meaningless, like unguided reactions of molecules, and so that would be true of your own mind but you're taking meaning out of what happens in there. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're trying to understand the world through something that's completely meaningless. Mm -hmm. So it's like a weird logic. Yeah. It's, right. yeah. it's just like a kind of doesn't make sense. Like if you believe this thing, then you're basically, you're, you're already like uh, a hypocrite 
for what you believe because you're you're using order to make that assumption about what you're believing. Right. Hurricane Grand Chance, there's no reason to believe anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's intense. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay tuned. We got a fun activity that Rich definitely won last time we played. So we'll probably uh, hang out for a little bit. Then Brenda's going to lead that game. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll hang out. We'll hang out uh, and have some fun. So I'll bring us down and then we can hang out and end the game later. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Lord. Uh, so much for the things that you created and uh, so many beautiful things that uh, you have for us to enjoy and uh, yeah, just thank you for that and thank you for explaining that to us here in Genesis 2 uh, Genesis 1 just as well <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, just yeah, giving us this to, to study and uh, yeah, we're, we're just excited to go through Genesis there's so much that happens in this book um, I just pray, Lord, that as we go through this, uh, we can just fall more in love with you and, and realize all the things you've done and um, created, and you know, we're just we're just excited for that. So pray for a fun night of fellowship and, and uh, hanging out, and uh, yeah, praise your name. Amen. Amen.